welcome for another courageous conversation with us at Voices for Freedom. We have another special guest. I'm just going to wait till a few more people jump on uh, before we get started. I can see you coming in in the hundreds, which is really oh. fun. Uh, lots of people coming tonight. We had a full house register, so um, I'm hoping it. it uh, you have to be in quick, I'm afraid, around here, or you might miss out. All righty, here they all come. Hi, everybody. Nice to see you. Everyone's saying hi in the chat. Now, I wanted to tell you before we start um, that you can change your name. If you want to come in and you want to ask a question or you want to say something, you can actually click a function. Uh, I, don't ask me how you do it, but you can actually change your name. So poke around there if you want to. And then I'll try not to use your name if I, if I read out a question, but just in case I accidentally do, then you might want to change your name. Dr. Bailey is a legend. That's right. Anna, <laughs> I did it just then. So uh, it might be good to change your name. Hi from Wanui. Hi, everybody. It's so nice to see you pop in. you got a lot of fans here, Sam. It's pretty cool. <laughs> really nice. Okay, well, I'm actually going to get had, started. We've had like over, over 500 people, guys, and most of you registered just in the last hour or so because I only, we did a secret squirrel because we didn't want anyone trying to shut it down. <laughs> so it's really yeah. awesome. 400 people yeah. registered in the last few, last hour. Yeah. So everybody's pouring in the door. We'll get started though, I think. And because um, we've got a, an, an action packed hour ahead of us. So we'll get started. Um, I just want to say a huge welcome to everyone for joining us on this Monday night down here in New Zealand for our courageous conversation. Uh, it's really great to see everyone. It feels really good to be doing this and to be having some, some conversations and some talking some common sense. It feels good. Uh, I thought before we started, it would be really nice to just go over a little bit about what we're about at Voices for Freedom. Some of you may not have tuned in before, uh, and it's and you won't have seen us together much either talking about stuff. So I'm just going to pass over to Alia, and she's going to give you a feel of what we're about at Voices for Freedom. So over to you, Alia. Hey, thank you. Can you hear me all right? Yep. Great. Okay. So we launched, uh, Voices for Freedom's only been going for about five months. We launched in... 2020, uh, December. So at the end of the last uh, end of last year, and we kicked it off in probably late December, I think. So we've we've hit the ground running. Uh, so a bit about us: we are a strong non-political grassroots organisation. We've got heaps of uh, supporters and volunteers across the country. We have set up. I think we have 45, 47 leaders nationwide that run local groups. For people to join if, if you haven't done that please go and sign up on our website if you'd like to um, we provide a platform for the relevant and important questions to be asked that are currently not being allowed to be asked so we've popped up in the space that has become available because of the censorship through the mainstream media and the government um, it's a place for those to speak up who feel silenced and anyone who basically has a view that opposes the mainstream narrative. One of the most important things that we're about is about protecting our rights and freedoms that we see being lost as a result of the COVID-19 response from the government. So in particular, at the moment, it's medical and health freedom, freedom of speech, but we're not solely focused on those, but those are our main ones at the moment. Um, yeah, 
uh, we have groups all over New Zealand. We are interested in advocacy and putting people together. So the last uh, few days, we have been talking a lot with medical professionals, people in the armed forces, Olympic athletes, uh, lots and lots of people from around the country who have jobs that are being impacted by the most recent legislation and or government orders that have been put out. So I think that that's part of probably kind of a, a good overview. Excellent. Thank you for that. So you can find out more about us on our website. And if you haven't signed up to our email, do that because we stay in regular contact with you via email and you'll hear about these webinars and you can join us for in-person events and more. So do stay in touch with us via email. I know lots of you might be on Facebook. Facebook is not necessarily a secure platform to follow us <laughs> on. Uh, so yeah, sign up to our email list. That would be amazing. So we have got this incredible guest. I can see you going nuts in the comments. It's lovely to see uh, your fan club here, Sam. Uh, but I wanted to introduce you a little bit and then I'm going to, we've got a bunch of questions for you. Um, Dr. Sam is a research physician. She's got a particular interest in novel tests and treatments for medical diseases. She's worked in general practice, sexual health, emergency medicine, clinical trials, and telehealth. She has the largest health YouTube channel in New Zealand, and she's a co-author of Virus Mania, which I have here. Um, she seeks to, or she aims to engage in open scientific debate and contribute her medical education skills to inform the general public about COVID-19. And lots of you have probably found, found Sam on YouTube. How many, how many awards have you won now, Sam, on YouTube for the millions of followers you have over there? <laughs> I don't have, well, <laughs> I've got about, um, so yeah, I just had this over play button thing um, that when you get 100,000 um, subscribers, but I'm up to about. 237,000 subscribers on YouTube so yeah you do an amazing yeah. job over there and if you haven't caught her there do go and follow her there um yeah. it's I noticed some of your videos you, you'll be finding off YouTube now as well some of the more risque ones but um it, you explain everything really clearly which is great for us tonight I'm looking forward to um talking to you a bit more we're going to talk about PCR tests before we before we start I just wanted to ask you about this tomb of a book and I wanted to ask you how did you come to be a co-author of this book virus mania yeah <laughs> yeah good question well I think it, for me it really started early last year and probably like all of you I just had this feeling that something was really deeply wrong with what was happening with COVID-19 and obviously at the time of the lockdown um I kind of hunkered down in my den and I just became obsessed or very focused on reading as much as I could about all the scientific papers, um, trying to understand what was going on. And um, anyway, by chance, I came across this book, Virus Mania, which was originally published in 2007 by these two German um, authors. So one's a, a, an investigative uh, journalist and the other is a internal physician. And... I sat down and I read it and quite honestly it was the best medical book I have ever read it was something and this is coming you have to understand I come from a very orthodox I guess conventional medicine I trained you know in Otago um, but this book completely made me rethink virology and, and infections and um, you know and up to that point I was quite heavily influenced by other doctors and um, I guess, you know, what you're sort of told by the, the, the GP college, by the Ministry of Health and things. So 
Um, but one of the other things that was really pivotal with the Virus Mania book, what I realized was that COVID-19, you know, the pandemic didn't just happen. It, um, once you've read kind of Virus Mania, you understand that the COVID-19 response was this escalation of previous pandemics. And, you know, with AIDS, swine flu, med cow disease, avian flu, they all follow this particular pattern and you could see it was like on steroids for COVID-19. Um, so, and then also it helps, helped me understand sort of the interplay between big pharma, um, the media and government and how things completely spiraled out of control. So I think it was a bit subconsciously, I started making um, YouTube videos sort of on these virus mania themes and I started mirroring what I had read from from the book and um, so what, what I did with my channel is I ended up making um, videos that were heavily referenced and um, just showing people the scientific literature and saying look I don't want to tell you what to think or what to do but here is kind of what the scientific research shows and draw your own conclusions and um, anyway so then what happened was one of um, the co-authors emailed me and for me that was like a fangirl moment <laughs> um, I was just so oh well um, yeah, would you like to interview um, Klaus Kuhnlein who was the German physician and I said definitely please uh, I would love that and so we set up an interview and it went really well actually on YouTube it got something like I don't know 125,000 or so um, views and YouTube took it down but you can still watch it on um, Odyssey if, if you want to take a look and um, and that interview in my opinion is one of the best it's the best way to understand how the pandemic unfolded and um, anyway you know in terms of who's written the book so they said to me I, we got on so well they said do you, do you want to be part of the team and I, I was just absolutely I don't I, I, I believe in this so much and we've had such amazing feedback from the book and I mean the guys that are involved there's Torsten Engelbrecht so he's German this amazing investigative journalist and he just totally he's like a bulldog he's a bloodhound he just basically digs down information and um and he's done some things which have really been the first in the world like contacting the original authors of these PCR papers and saying, you know, did you purify the virus and things? It's it's quite remarkable. There's also Dr. Klaus Kuhnlein, who in his own right is a very well-respected internal medicine physician. His interest is in AIDS and HIV research. And um, he, he puts it very nicely and understands all the factors that are going into play with these pandemics. And the final author is this chap, Stefano Scoglio, who's a scientist and he has this real sense of injustice, you know, sees what's going on at the moment and he's very passionate about getting to the bottom of the scientific truth. Mm. So yeah, that's kind of how it came about. Some people are saying in the comments that you have more references in your videos than the CDC. And I think that is <laughs> something I've really enjoyed about your videos. And But so much of the stuff that's in this kind of alternative space, things are so well referenced. And you yeah. don't just assume there's a very little assumption happens you have to hunt out like you're saying bloodhound hunts out all the data to support what you're saying but you have yeah. sort of talked about um all these different uh viruses through the years and how things something similar's played out but what do you think is at the basis of what's happening 
now with COVID-19. Have yeah, a view so, around that? Because yeah, this is not what we've seen before, <laughs> is it? I know. Yeah, and it's a really yeah, important question. Um, look, I'm not going to speculate about the groups. You, you can read between the lines about, you know, the conflicts of interest that's been going on. In the situation, I look at it from the medical perspective, um, but I really thought about this a lot. And I think what is really underpinning everything is the validity of this of the PCR test. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it it basically it under it's why we have lockdowns, it's why we have masks, it's why there's social distancing, quarantines. It defines what a case is um, and all the treatments from it. So um, and based on my belief that it's, you know, it's a faulty premise that the PCR test is fit for purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's been, I'm sure you, audience, everyone knows, most people know this, but there's been many legal cases attacking the PCR. And I think that's actually where this, where the solution is. Um, there's that famous Portuguese case where um, they basically showed um were ruled that the cycle thresholds were far too high it wasn't fit for purpose um and you know a very pivotal case um so for me that's why i spend a lot of time researching about pcr tests um Mm. and i you know obviously i've made a few videos on my youtube channel about it as well because it's a really popular question from people and I can understand why, but it is quite technical. And really, PCR was something that wasn't taught well in medical school. Like they do teach you about it, but it's very kind of glossed over. And another thing that I think people don't really talk about, but is there's this when new tests come about. Um, so this is from a doctor's perspective. Um, you know, you don't know much about it, and you really you have to do your own research. And what happens is that most doctors look to the government, to the Ministry of Health often to the GP college for guidance to say, you know, when I do this test, how valid is it? Is it accurate? When do I need to do this? They're very much directed by those organizations. And, um, you know, when normally when a new test comes out, there's this pilot phase where it's trialed for a while before it's kind of properly released and, and then people get more familiar with it. And um, anyway, they, try to make out that you need to be some sort of virologist (laughs) to um, understand it but you don't need to be a virologist to understand the papers around PCR you just need to be I think intelligent have have a scientific mind and um, you know do some digging and um, Mm. the other thing that I think is interesting you know there's kind of this world of doctors and what they do and doctors are good at we do diagnosis Um, And then you've got labs and lab people and they do tests very well, but there's very little crossover. Doctors don't go into the labs and see what happens and lab people don't leave (laughs) the labs very often to see what doctors are doing. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this, you know, there's very few people that sort of see both worlds. And so that's what I've really tried to understand in the last year and try and put that across in my videos um, yeah, so that once people get how significant the PCR test is, you know, they understand it all. Mm. Someone said in the chat, uh, Dr. Bloomfield said that the PCR is <clears throat> gold standard. <clears throat> Clearly, there are some people who think this PCR test is incredible. And I actually spoke to a molecular biologist um, who told me that it's great when you're looking for MOA DNA. It's excellent 
for that. Yeah. Um, but why? So what? What? So some. But other people are saying it's just completely useless. But so when it comes to COVID, what makes? Why would Dr. Bloomfield say it's excellent, and why would other people say it's completely? hopeless like what what, yeah. what is that all about here yeah yeah sure yeah well in the setting of so-called COVID-19 my belief is that it's completely useless um I mean PCR like you said PCR test is an amazing tool and I'm sure you know the audience know this as well it was um originally kind of came about from an amazing very intelligent man Carrie Mullis who um, was a little bit of a renegade and he got the Nobel Prize for PCR um, and it's helped with the discovery things like forensics you know paternity suits um, genetics it's an excellent tool and and it's very good um, at those things but in terms of determining whether an you know an individual has an infection you have to be much more cautious with it and I mean in a nutshell PCR is it's an indirect test that is designed to massively amplify a specifically targeted, you know, section of genetic material so that we can detect it. And it's, you know, very good at doing that. And that's why you kind of hear about, um, you know, you might've heard they talk about specificity of say 95% or 99% by the governments, um, et cetera. But this is what um, it means is it, it detects the target sequence correctly. Um, so it, if it's negative, it, you know, it's not, that target sequence isn't there. And this is something, again, that's really glossed over. And it's a fundamental point, And I talk about this quite a bit in my videos. This is called the analytical specificity of the test. And that's what people are constantly talking about. And that's not what I have a problem with um, or what I'm questioning. What I'm questioning is what they call the diagnostic specificity. And that's the probability that a test will be negative when a person doesn't have the condition. So, for example, COVID-19, if they have the test and it's negative, then they don't have the condition. Um, but this has never been established in clinical trials. So in relation to PCR, they have these things. It's like a, a, a protocol kind of gold standard, as it were, for how PCR should be done. And it's called um, the MIQE guidelines. Um, I have it sort of here and I have it by me yeah. <laughs> most times because it's, it's, it's really, really important um, document. Um, and um, basically what this um, document talks about is in labs all across the world, they do different things. They don't follow it to the T. And the guy that wrote this, so Stephen Buston, even he said in an interview that um, he he doesn't can't trust any of the information from other labs outside of his one because he knows how these run, but he doesn't know how other labs run. And this is to do, you know, with the cycle thresholds and all that sort of jazz. Um, as a comparison, and I, I always like to use this as an illustrative example. Pregnancy tests, um, they're a very, very good indirect test. And we know that if someone has a negative test for pregnancy, they basically aren't pregnant. And we know it's got this diagnostic specificity down pat. And there's a gold standard. So when Ashley Bloomfield's mentioning, you know, that it is a gold standard, um, a gold standard is like the absolute best thing we have of saying this is, this is correct. So for pregnancy, it's usually an ultrasound or birth of a child, <laughs> but um, 
we know that that's that's correct there, there is no way of confirming you know a, there is no gold standard at all for um for pcr tests for detecting if someone has COVID 19 and it's really interesting if there's a there was a study um from earlier last year where they looked at hospitalized patients with COVID 19 and so these are pretty sick patients right and PCR is usually positive or negative the way it's detected. And in the study, they had patients who basically from day one to day 15 of an illness, they were tested mm -hmm. every day. And the test went positive, negative, positive, negative. I mean, if this was, if you were doing a pregnancy test and going, you know, it's positive, negative, you'd think this is the most unreliable test there is. We're not using it. But for whatever... I don't know how you can interpret those test results. They are meaningless. And um, people ask me, you know, well, if you can't use PCR, what test can you use? Look, I don't know. I don't know. Um, and there's prominent cases of people with positive PCR tests, like um, that footballer, Ronaldo. <laughs> and, um, you know, he had it despite being perfectly well. There was Elon Musk, who I think had a positive and negative test result on the same day. It's just, how do you interpret this? Mm -hmm. And you were talking about standards across um, different, even different labs and things. But Alia, haven't we got some information about what's happening in New Zealand even? That there was something had come out so that even the labs within New Zealand weren't using the same tests or the same standards. Can you remind me if something um, about that? Yeah, I'll just pull it up. In New Zealand, so we did an OIA for that, um, to find out what how many cycles they were doing running in, in New Zealand. And so that's come back as 40. So the cycle threshold is 40 in New Zealand. But they also gave us a bunch of the, the names of the, I think there was four different tests that they were using to in the different labs. And my understanding was from talking to the molecular biologist that we spoke with was that there just was no there was no standardization across there wasn't it wasn't possible to do that and so each lab has its own i guess specifications or um mm. ways that they work sorry i'm just waiting for my but we have kind of lots because we have lots of then issues going on within this pcr we have both the idea that you can have no symptoms and test positive so you can be pregnant one minute not pregnant you know this kind of mm. no positive test then we've got the issue where the actual testing appears to be really crazy around the world I, from what i understand our testing here in new zealand is quite um meticulous from what i hear but I mean, we have people being tested in car parks and, and wind and tents and dipping in and trying to work it out. And I, I saw a video the other day of a, a lab where there's actually gloop that was being dribbled from one place to another. Um, it was just like, so it was cont could contaminate all of the tests in mm -hmm. its area. It was gross, actually. So I think there it's it just seems to me that for something that has such a high degree of Accuracy is kind of the wrong word, but specificity, that would be the right word. Yeah, um, or just diagnostic specificity. Yeah, like, yeah, but sorry, yeah. Yeah, um, to use it randomly like this with all these different cycle numbers and all these different scenarios, that alone to me seems to be problematic, even aside the issue of what are we even looking for? How many times have you turned up at the doctor just because you felt like waltzing in that day and they said, 
better do a test. Flip, you're pretty sick. It, it doesn't happen, does it? We normally look at symptoms, don't we? Um, and go from there. So, exactly. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, has it actually been established yet what is a COVID-19 case? And does that mean you're infectious? I think this kind of runs off what I was saying yeah. before, this idea of being infectious and being a case we keep hearing about these cases 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 but what what does that actually mean yeah honestly I think you've is hitting the nail on the head this is this is key I like I often try and draw people's attention back to it because I think it again it gets really glossed over um as though it's like really well established and we don't even need to talk about it and I think if you really want to ask a curly question to your own doctor (laughs) this is what I'd ask them I'd say tell me what a COVID-19 case is and they really struggle with it Um, and because in December year 2020 I made a video specifically on this topic because it wasn't clear to me you know what that clinical entity of COVID-19 that it hadn't been properly defined and there's a big um, organization called the Cochrane Collaboration that do um, big meta-analyses of studies and they showed that there was no specific signs or symptoms for COVID-19 and you know previously in medicine like you say Libby when people come in to see you as a doctor that people present with symptoms and it might be that they have chest pain shortness of breath whatever and then you examine them you try and measure signs which might be that they've got reduced air entry in a lung or um, you know that they're uh, they've got a fever whatever and then you do tests to rule rule in confirm you know or rule out your diagnosis and COVID-19 flipped this completely on its head um all you need now is a test and is you know like you say like I, I know of cases of people I know who have had um both ways like no symptoms and they're advised to have a test and if it's a positive they're a case um you've got people that actually present with symptoms go and get tested and it's negative and, and then they said you know bye bye now and they're like but I still have symptoms <laughs> what, what what's going on and um and it really disturbed me when they were rolling out clinics doing asymptomatic you know mm. screens basically of people um I mean this is unprecedented we've never had anything like this before um you know and those of us that are looking for the logic and consistency you know we're not satisfied um, that the authorities have any definition of COVID-19 outside of this positive PCR test. And it's a circular reasoning, you know, you have a positive PCR test, therefore you have COVID-19, you have COVID-19, therefore you have a positive PCR test and it doesn't, it's meaningless. So um, you really have to take into account what's happening for the person. Do they have symptoms? And I think that's kind of this mismatch of what lab the lab people sort of the analytical specificity specificity people haven't really acknowledged is that we don't know what's happening are these people sick or are they completely well and um it's very disconnected and you know people ask me quite often what's the best treatment for COVID-19 and probably I really annoy them because, (laughs) because I always respond that you know what do you mean like for a positive PCR test I don't know what this treatment is for that um, but the test itself can't tell you anything. I mean, if someone's got pneumonia, you treat the pneumonia. But um, yeah, do they have symptoms? Um, how do they look, you know, clinically on examination as a person in hospital, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, many governments have 
um, declared that the diagnosis is made on this one test and um, individuals are infectious cases and they're added up cumulatively. And the other thing I think that's interesting, which I didn't realize until I read Virus Mania was that there are basically two conditions where um, ca cases are added up cumulatively and they're not done on an annual basis. One is HIV and AIDS and the other is COVID-19. And mm. why, why do they do this cumulative statistics? It's because it scares people. And if you did it on any condition, I mean, honestly, pick a condition and, and it was constantly in the news every night that we've got this number of cases, people would be terrified of it and thinking, oh my God, this is going to happen to me. Um, there's, no, there's no other reason for it. Um, so yeah, as we also discussed in virus mania that there's a correlation between the number of tests being done and the number of cases. So you can mm. you know, draw your own conclusions there. Yeah, well, we see that here, don't we? Because we have people queuing for five hours to get a test and all of a sudden we have a lot of cases. And I just yeah. think if you're going to queue for five hours, I don't know how sick you are. Maybe you are. <laughs> it seems like a strange thing. And um, But I think one of the other things that gets me is the idea that we have people who are declared recovered. What does yeah. that even mean? We're uh, now I recovered. So we have, <laughs> on, we have them on the uh, TV, well, wherever, on the computer when I watch them at their one o'clock thing and they tell us about all these, this many cases and you're absolutely right, this whole business of we've, we don't look at it season to season. What else do we, <laughs> this is just bananas that we count it all in one. We're going to keep counting in 10 years how many mm -hmm. we've had. Um, mm -hmm. But they say they've got all these cases. Nobody thinks, how sick are these people? Are they okay? Oh my gosh, yeah, we all subconsciously exactly. know that they're fine. I mean, I'm, not everybody is fine. I appreciate that. But I think subconsciously we've had so many people be fine that when we hear this, we think, oh yeah, another case. Uh, some people, I'm, maybe some people must get very frightened if they're feeling vulnerable to COVID. I, that would be scary. But uh, I don't see anybody standing up there and feeling worried for the people or giving us advice on how we're supposed to look after ourselves. And then to declare that this many people are now recovered, I just find this all very strange. Um, mm. How would they determine that they're recovered? But um, in terms of being asymptomatic, this whole business of asymptomatic, I think is an interesting one. My husband said to me today, he was reading an article from a Swedish doctor who talked about asymptomatic, AKA healthy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, what is this asymptomatic even yeah. about that? a positive case yeah yeah so I made a video about this uh, like uh, do you mean like about asymptomatic transmission and stuff or um, yeah like what does it mean yeah yeah I mean I guess again it's a it's a positive test with someone who never developed symptoms and um what I find interesting yeah because I've sort of been digging deeper into this theme in my own videos and you know with say um flu for example flu transmission you think it's all kind of this set dogma and when you actually dig deep into this stuff you realize that symptomatic transmission of flu hasn't been proven either and um I mean I don't know what to, what you can make of this sorry I don't want to get you guys in trouble for on YouTube <laughs> um but uh the um 
Yeah, so the concept of asymptomatic transmission is very problematic. And to be fair, I, I'm probably better. I talked about it more in um, my um, recent video because we had, oh, it was a microbi yeah. Yeah, a microbiologist um, in New Zealand, actually, Robin Wakeling, who's kind of one of the, he's a, he's a guru in his own right on PCR. And he was putting all these really tricky questions to the ministry, which I love. <laughs> and um, he um yeah, when you actually go through the references properly, um, you realise that there's no, even their own references that they're using are flawed. A lot of them are based on modelling studies and, um, you know, haven't been actually proven in patients. And you think this stuff should be easy. If these things are so contagious, just symptomatic transmission, why can't you can get, I mean, it sounds harsh, but you get some monkeys and you literally spray it at them, the, the virus, and then a control group of monkeys, and you, you know, spray something without the virus. It's not, it's not really that technical, but none of it's been done. And you think, mm. where are we now? But um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm very kind of skeptical, yeah, about the concept of asymptomatic transmission, pre-symptomatic mm. transmission, yeah. Mm. It's a funny one. There definitely is, because it's never been a problem before. Yeah. Um, this is a new thing, isn't it? That all of a sudden we all got to be worried about each other and putting a mask on just in case we're dangerous. I, it's not healthy to be thinking like mm. that. Um, it's certainly not healthy to be talking to our kids like that. And that mm. I think for me um, is of particular worry when our kids are going out into the, out into the world with people who feel that they might be dangerous to them or that my kid might be dangerous back. I, it's, I, it's not a healthy way to live. I don't oh. think it's we're doing our kids any favors with that yeah. um uh so we've got this whole scenario with these pcr tests that are not really fit for purpose and they certainly haven't we haven't really worked out what a, a case is other than it's a positive pcr test we don't we're not really told about how to look after ourselves we've used all these strategies just out of the bag I, the strategies to manage this infection that we've never used before but why do you think it, all of this became a crisis why did it happen so quickly it just all of a sudden here we are. What, what do you think um, is behind is the reason for that? That this time, what the match took, or what what happened? Yeah, like uh, I kind of um, when I did my interview with um, Klaus Kuhnlein, Dr. Klaus, um, he described it really well, and I, I think it's it is the mass use of PCR tests, and he called it a PCR pandemic, and I think that's really what mm. it is um, when it gets down to it, and. Um, I had a friend, um, a GP actually, uh, message me and say, you know, if you want to explain to your kids, you know, you're saying about what to tell your kids, what book should you read to them? I think the emperor's new clothes. And yeah, he said that to me and I thought, yeah, actually that's, that's a really good point. And um, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen um, this much testing and history, like on this mass scale, I mean, maybe outside of uh, cancer screening, but this is unprecedented. And I think, um, you know, the whole thing in regards to doing lots of tests is you're going to get more cases. So, um, yeah, but I, I, I do think, like I say, the PCR test is the vulnerable spot. And mm. I think I, I, I'm hoping, you know, that there'll be more legal cha challenges directed at that because I think that that can be successfully, if it can be successfully challenged in court, then... Mm. um this can all wind back I mean um yeah you, I mean you've got to think this is boom time now for big pharma 
I mean, there's a lot of people making a lot of money out of this. Um, people that do, you know, businesses that make these diagnostic tests, these aren't cheap tests. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you've got countries that are purchasing billions of dollars worth of kits and vaccines and, um, you know, it's this great distraction for politicians. Mm. If, um, you know, there's heat on them, then it can be, oh, look, there's some more cases over here. And, mm. oh, what about the vaccines or whatever? Um, you know, it takes the spotlight off them for a wee bit um, and provides a nice scapegoat. So, yeah, I think uh, another thing um, is that I think the response has been this disproportionate, overblown response to something. You know, if this was... I guess a true pandemic, um, you would see, you would know people that had died of it. And I'm not talking just 82 year old dementia patients. I'm talking about people that have a young and, um, you know, children, young adults, and it would be, you couldn't avoid it. It would be everywhere. Um, Mm. And we're just not seeing that other than what is shown to us in the the news. Um, And I personally, I'm really very worried about this rushed, rollout of you know a pharmaceutical product um that's still in the trial phases i mean my background i've worked for a decade in clinical trials um and um you know some were on vaccines but mostly it wasn't but you you know there's a there's a certain way that this normally rolls out and this is completely um completely new because mm. it's not just the rollout that's new. It's not just the way we're launching launching this to the public that's, that's new. It's the incredible push behind it that's new. I mean, we've had a, a push for other vaccines over the years, but this is like no, this is unbelievable. This um, the pressure that people are feeling under. And we're getting a lot of people contact us, aren't we, Alia? Who are feeling like they have had they have no choice. So we're having people who feel like they at the point where they have to make a decision to say yes because their their life is at stake you know their their money Mm -hmm. and their work and then we've got people that have said yes and it's been catastrophic for them so we've got a lot haven't we Alia with people we have yeah we've heaps and heaps of medical professionals getting in touch with us in the last few days so lots of nurses pharmacists um paramedics even today this afternoon before we jumped on actually I saw an email from an acupuncturist who had sent us the the statement from the acupuncturist council or whatever their professional body is and they are even putting the heavies on for them to have the vaccine as well it's, it's it seems to be crossing all sorts of kind of that would not normally I wouldn't imagine they'd go for that kind of thing usually but these people are you know they've been funneled down a narrow path of what they are and are not allowed to talk about in terms of informed consent even so if Mm. a a patient or a customer in the case of somebody like a pharmacist wants to discuss something in in more depth they're well you know it sounds like they're kind of geared towards promotion of the vaccine and certainly towards having it themselves unless they have some fairly narrow contraindications that would medically exclude them but we haven't actually heard anything about medical exclusion, uh, medical uh, exemption no. exemption at all, mm. have we? There's been no talk of that at all. Um, no. And certainly some of the people we've spoken to who clearly should have a medical exemption 
are just going to lose their jobs. It's well, quite... I even remember we watched that. There was that terrible Q&A session with Nick, Dr. Nikki Turner. Oh, yeah. yeah. That topic came up. And yeah. she, was, she was saying, oh, well, even if you've got anaphylactic history, you know, you basically you go along and it's okay because we've got adrenaline or, you know, like <laughs> we can manage yeah. that. It's like, yeah. that, that's, even that is not really an excuse. No. To get out. Just have it in the hospital that she says. Yeah. Just have it in yeah, the yeah. hospital. Yep. <laughs> Hey, there's quite a few. Um, shall I say a couple of the questions? Yes, I was going to say, have you seen anything clear in there? Mm. Yeah. Well, sorry, everybody. There are a lot of questions. So <laughs> uh, we can't get to everyone's questions, but the questions do get saved. So perhaps we'll be able to put them to Sam later and she might be able to address them some way. But one of the common ones is asking about the um, low false positive. I know Gert and a couple of other people had asked about that um, just for New Zealand and just yeah. wondering um, an anonymous person saying, I can't get my head around is related to our low false positive rate. Apparently we do 15 to 20,000 PCR tests a week outside of my isolation. And so it's just wondering, how, do, do you have some information on that, Sam? Yeah, it's a really good question. Like I, I don't, um, I've also spoken to, you know, some epidemiologists about this because <laughs> um, I don't kind of get my head around it either. Um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's based on some of the, I don't know, like, for example, the MIQE, you know, protocols, what they're doing in the labs here. Like some of this data is really, it's really hard to get um, access to. So yeah, and I've had even, um, you know, I get contacted a lot <laughs> by people emailing me um, from overseas, again, you're asking me that same question. I, I don't, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know the answer to it. Um, uh, yeah, why that's happening, but um, yeah, I'll hopefully <laughs> one day I'll have an answer. <laughs> we have, we, asked, well, we, we were asked, asked on it. some yeah. OIAs, didn't we, for that? We, we did. Whether, yeah. whether or not they recorded though the the rates, I guess, the results. And they said no. And we've asked them quite a few times in a few different ways. And they keep yeah. saying no. However, Bloomfield will get up there and say that they had such and such a result. So obviously mm. they are keeping track of them to some degree, but mm. they're not putting them in any but way. That the, re the reason we were asking initially was because we were thinking, are we just not hearing about all the ones coming in 30 plus? That are, that are like, yeah. you know, these really high results. So we just conveniently not hearing about those. So we tried to establish whether they kept the results. They say they don't. They must, they must know because they refer to it. They started referring to it around January, didn't they? Prior to that, we didn't really hear much about high CT levels or low CT levels. It, around the mm. time that that woman got out of MIQ and was traveling around Northland, that's when we started to hear about, okay, first of all, panic and then, oh, crumbs, everyone's on holiday. It's going to be too hard to get them home. Don't panic. She has a load, whatever. You know, it was kind of this little story that went along. And that's when we started to hear about she has a high, she has a, well, I've forgotten the words they use now. Um, yeah, she basically some sort of value. But yeah. yeah, I remember having a to and fro with the DHB lawyer on that one. But mm. I was just refreshing myself on, on a Official Information Act request that we had. And they talk about, um, questioning it if it was over 37 which to me seems I mean it's way too high it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 it is absolutely bananas but we are hearing it more now it's a strange yeah. one though isn't it because when we also I mean, look at I was going to say even Fauci himself I had that in a video clip of him yeah. 
he admits that over 36 cycle threshold, it's basically, you know, a single strand, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, you know, <laughs> genetic material. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 it's just, mm. it's absurd. And I, I think it's much lower than that. I mean, I, I, yeah, this, this is a whole nother... <laughs> I don't, I don't, I really don't want you guys to get banned off YouTube. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling at the moment. We'll come back and do um, it another day when we're already banned. Um, <laughs> yeah. You can, like, we're more concerned yeah. for you and looking after you because we will put this on um, BitChute or somewhere like that. So, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's fine. Don't worry you. about it for us, but, okay. you know, we're mindful mm. of it for you. Yeah. Uh, what other questions are we getting clear that you've seen in there that would be worth having a look at? A lot of people I see in the chat, I can't see the questions. A lot of people are talking about asymptomatic equals not sick. Someone's asked about COVID long haulers and whether that's true or false. Um, like um, long, long COVID symptoms. Yeah, long COVID. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Again, I, I get asked about this and um, I think, again, I, I just maybe I, I don't know if I irritate people with it, but I, I really like to just step it back and go back really right back to the basics and tell me first, what is a COVID-19 case? <laughs> it's a positive. So is it someone who's had a positive PCR test that later on down the track develops symptoms? I mean, I, I don't know, again, this, you know, this, this idea about reclassification. I mean, is it, are you going to call this chronic fatigue syndrome? Are you going to call this, and, I mean, um, there's some really interesting work done. I don't know if uh, you guys have looked into it at all by um, Dr. Stefan Lenker. Um, do you know, he's done, yeah, uh, he's sort of following him a wee bit and um, he's said some interesting things that even he's got a lot of questions around the isolation and what these viruses are, you know, what is a virus kind of thing. He, um, his idea is that, uh, people are got, just because of the whole situation of having a diagnosis and everything you are going there are, are going to be adverse effects like people are going to have longer term symptoms you know the real symptoms but it's not um, what is it caused by you know the um, he's yeah just check out there's a really good thing called Project Emmanuel um, mm -hmm. it's been translated into English and he's doing these amazing experiments, um, essentially looking at, um, you know, so when they get electron micrograph images of the virus, you know, they take a sample from someone, um, they put it in some monkey veros and kidney cells, they stress the cells usually with bacteria, um, antibiotics and do a few things to it. And then they take pictures of, you know, what they call uh, viruses. Um, his experiments have done it with control, so without any sample, and they have the same results. So the same electron micrograph images are coming out of this. And it's, I mean, it's flipping everything on its head about what virology is, what are these things. Um, yeah, it's a can of worms, and, but just I'd check it out. <laughs> and yeah. um, your yeah. own information. It just seems to me that we there's so, so much we don't know. So people are asking in here about um, something that came up in the CDC the other day where they lowered the threshold for vaccinated people to be tested with the PCR. And mm. so now if you've been vaccinated, they won't go above a certain threshold when they're testing you. Um, there's just so, again, it's using this test that we don't, 
is not is not purpose is is all meaningless anyway um but it just seems to me that we don't know we don't know there's so much we don't know and we're steamrolling Mm. into a solution we don't even know what we're running from and we don't even know how to deal with it or how even to test for it properly um yeah exactly and i i agree i think it's um and i mean what I don't like about it too is they they constantly change definitions of things so okay if you're doing if you're doing tests one day and you're doing it at a you know say New Zealand at a cycle threshold of 40 and then the next day you're doing it at 28 like people think people don't know this is the cutoff date when they've changed what they're doing you know and it's this um you know Simon, Simon Thornley's really good at talking about this too where um when diagnoses are made you get this over definition problem um and again you don't you need to know behind the scenes that this has happened that they've changed a definition or a test you know to realize oh this is why this is happening this is why this is going up and we're not told that no mainstream media just pump out the same kind of rhetoric of like everything's the same but it's not and like you say that's clearly going to have implications if they've um changed the cycle threshold measurement um yeah, for people post, I don't know why you do that. No, it's quite. <laughs> but it's gonna, also like it was the, yeah, it's quite it's quite bizarre. Uh, but the other thing that happened at, at the end of January was mid January, wasn't it, Alia, when they changed the definition yeah. of a the WHO twentieth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell me what they did there. They increased the well, they changed the case definition, didn't they? To in, mm. include to basically allow for that the variability in the PCR results and they've asked for people to include like clinical symptoms and epidemiological links and time-related kind of information there was a there's a whole list of things that they are now asking people to include when they're considering to define a case and you wonder when you look at other uh, data that has been promoted in the media by certain uh, medical or scientific professionals about how you know perhaps how the vaccine has had a result on the declining number of tests and if you go and you look at those graphs say from Israel you see that their mm. their vaccine was introduced not long before that change in the testing in the criteria so even at, regardless of whether any vaccine was was introduced theoretically if they adopted the new criteria the cases would fall because you know, not as many people would qualify with just a positive PCR and no symptoms mm. and like that. Mm. So mm. it's interesting. I mean, you're never going to know unless you look deeply at the detail. And, you know, our media are not looking deeply at the detail and you get told one thing and when you look a little deeper, then you find something else. Mm. 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 Yeah. It's... The, the media have a lot to answer for at the moment. I think there are other people as well, but this 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 flood of propaganda that is being fed at people with no substance, no proper detail that it, I would find it difficult <laughs> to be a journalist right now. Um, yeah. And, um, really are bad. you able to talk? And don't worry if you're not. But some of the questions are. I know there's questions about whether you've been. Um, with censorship and things like that but that might be something that you're able to speak about more easily in a while right or did you want to address that um yeah you- I think I I think I can um yeah why not <laughs> yeah so um 
I guess what's happened to me, really, it kind of all started in September last year um, when um, the, yeah, I had basically been investigated by the Medical Council and um, that's still ongoing um, for me. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm waiting to basically hear back, but basically they ask that I don't make COVID videos or I can't practice medicine. So, um, you know, it's, I, I never thought that that would happen, you know, in New Zealand until it did to me. Um, I lost I lost a couple of jobs. Um, you know, I was doing this TV show um, and they basically, I made the video and I said I wouldn't have the COVID vaccine in it. And they asked me to take that video down and I said I wouldn't. <laughs> and then I said, please cut out the bit on the vaccine. And I said, I wouldn't. And I said, okay, that's it. And I mean, that was really a turning point for me and I felt well I, I, I'm on my path now I can't really change and yeah and I lost a job uh, I, I work in a lot of part-time <laughs> jobs and um, one of them because of my COVID videos uh, so yeah it's it's been tricky and um, I actually saw an article just before about someone saying about you know that I'm not posting stuff on YouTube I'm posting it on Odyssey because of censorship and a lot of that is really to do with, you know, the YouTube, they've got very strict policies um, on what you can and can't say about COVID. And I'm trying my hardest to reach as many people as I can. And um, and I admire truly people like, you know, James Corbett and Dave Cullen and people like that who just, they just go for it and they put things out there without, um, you know, and they say, you know, this, this is what we do. And I, I fully respect that. I, I've tried to feel, I want to reach people. And I probably eventually I will end up getting kicked off YouTube. It's just a matter of time. But um, I, I'm trying to stay there as much as I can just to reach people. But um, yeah, so the censorship is kind of real. And I think, um, I don't know if many of you have seen, there's new medical council um, yes. documents that have come out mm -hmm. in late April, which are very, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. Um, this is unprecedented and I think a lot of doctors are really scared um they're going to lose their jobs and um and I you know in some ways I don't blame people <laughs> what you know you, you're worried about getting paid that's that's fear I I personally I've just thought I'm just not that I don't care but I just I feel like this message is so much more important and I'd, I'd rather put myself out there and take what happens um you know, you get a lot of smears. I mean, you guys have had it too. It's just, but I think the people that follow you, you know, they see through it and, and um, you know, kind of what you were saying before about the vaccines and stuff. The other thing I really hate to see is how it divides up families, like mm. husbands and wives and, mm. you know, with kids and you think, gosh, this is, this is all, what, what is happening that people are feeling so, um, you know, divided that this is happening but um yeah I don't know the answer but I try and be positive <laughs> I always yeah. I'm a positive person and I think we are all moving in the right direction and maybe this has been a good thing that it's a it's woken up a lot of people I was I was asleep you know I I didn't think that this could happen to me um but actually it led me to virus mania and I'm so glad like I wouldn't have it any other way it's it feels it it's hugely courageous, Sam. It really is. Lots of people are saying in the chat. And um, I keep saying 
to my mum mostly. <laughs> if, if you don't know who you are by the end of last year, I'm not sure you'll ever know. It was such a time through last year, putting yourself on the line and you particularly, I mean, this is pretty extraordinary what you're doing, um, but you know who you are. And I think, you know, you can sleep at night. There's a lot to be said oh, for that. Completely. I had a, a lady come up to me, you know, because also it's, a, I'll be honest, it always gives me a little bit of a scare when someone comes up and they'll say, are you Sam Bailey? And I'm like, oh my God, are they going to take me? <laughs> are, they, are they okay? I, I don't know what the reaction's going to be. And she was so lovely. And um, she just said, thank you. Thank you so much. You know, and it, it brought tears to my eyes that I think, gosh, mm. I'm, I'm having more of an effect now on people than I did practicing medicine. It's it's this bizarre world, and um, and I'm not really doing. I'm not trying to be controversial, or I don't no. know. You know, um, I just I just trying to get to the bottom of it and help people not be stressed by this. I think that's that's the thing that really upsets me is when you see people are really scared and stressed and and children, and you think why <laughs> this is just mm. you know, it doesn't need to be like that. But um, yeah, I think you're right. You ne- you know yourself, um, and I, I feel like. Now I'm just following a path. I don't know where it's taking me, but I, I feel good about it. And yeah. Mm, mm, mm. yeah. I want people to know where they can buy your book and support you. <laughs> so can you tell them where they can go yeah. and buy your book? A lot of people have been yeah. asking in the chat too. So oh. tell us where people can get hold of it. Um, cool. And they're saying um, any other merchandise. Any oh. other merchandise? <laughs> I haven't got other merch yet. <laughs> Maybe I should. I um, um, yeah. Where yeah, can they um, your book well, yeah please I, I love it just honestly just the message is more important to me but um yeah um if you want to buy the book so I've actually got some in um in New Zealand so just you can either contact me on my email address um maybe will it be in the description or something um I can type yeah, it can, yeah um it, just email and just say you want, want to get a copy um it's $65 delivered and uh, for New Zealand um if you just um, there are other booksellers that sell it. So we sorry we don't have any um, local distributors, um, but there's if you want to get it from Amazon, um, you can get it from Amazon. Um, Abe Books. Um, there's an independent bookseller in the US called Powell's Books. Um, also, there's an ebook. Um, I've made an audio book, and it is just about. Um, I'm just waiting for the live links for that to come through. I don't have any other merch. I'd love to know suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> what I should do I mean, should... someone's saying support Dr Sam that's what they want to have on <laughs> somebody said in the comment that they heard about you from their friend in Devon so really? you're all over the world yeah all yeah. over the world this is incredible wow. Back in cool. Dr Sam Bailey is our source of truth <laughs> <laughs> I think so Oh, wow. oh, indeed. Um, now we're getting closer to our time for wrapping up. It was so interesting talking to Sam, but before we go, uh, I just wanted to, um, I want Claire to talk to us a bit about uh, MIQ and getting your PCR tests. And because we've had dealings with quite a lot of people in MIQ now, and I just thought it would be really helpful to hear a bit about that. If you could yeah. fill us in. Oh, well, I know we're going to do that, but I'm just really enjoying listening to Sam and hearing the yeah. The juicy thing. So <laughs> what I might just say just really briefly is that there is, uh, we do have template letters in our COVID, our, uh, oh, hang on, you know, our, we made this whole kit up that you will have seen. We'll put some more links on social media, but 
it does have a whole like letters that you can use when you're um, either in MIQ or when you're dealing with your employer and um, or if you're an employer and you there's also information that can help you see an alternative because most of the information is obviously um, biased towards how to get people to have a vaccine rather than looking at informed consent and all those issues but yeah I don't want to speak too long now because I just to say that there is definitely um, we've helped uh, I think for people now to um, get through MIQ without having to stay the extra time or all of the extra time in relation to being able to rely on a different sort of test rather than the PCR test, since a lot of people do not want to take that test for good reason. Um, and well, while I'm just talking, I'll just say that just, I wanted to just do a couple of, um, we'll make sure, Sam, what's your um, YouTube? Is it just people just Google mm -hmm. Sam? Dr. Sam Bailey. Yeah, right? if you go Dr. Sam Bailey, it should come up. <laughs> I'm not that shadow banned yet. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, sorry, I saw someone saying so. Yeah, my email address is admin at drsambailey.com um, if you want to. Okay, admin okay. at drsambailey.com. So yes. is that where they can get with the books and things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, I do get a few emails, so <laughs> but um, I, I will get to you. <laughs> Maybe you can end up doing a form or something that people can, um, if you have a, uh, I don't want to say a Google form because Gerd and everybody yep. in the comments will be on my case. So some alternative form that will help you get people that come in an Excel spreadsheet with what people yep. want. But, yeah, um, I, uh, yes, I, the other thing I will be doing is I'm going to be setting up a website soon in the next month. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, like you guys, um, but slightly yeah, different. But um, so yes, that is happening, but I, it's not live yet. Okay, that'll be excellent. And I know that some of your videos on Odyssey, it was really helpful to me because when I watched you on YouTube, you did a little slip it and then you had a link to take people over to Odyssey so I could sign up to Odyssey and watch you over there. So um, if you just start at YouTube, she'll tell you where to go from there to see all the ones that you can't see on YouTube. Yes, um, and yeah. I think there are a few more coming out there. So we've got- Yeah, lots yeah. I'm going to be doing a few exclusive ones just on the hairy subjects. Yeah, there should be some, yeah, there is some really, really good ones coming. So stay yeah, tuned. Be, be <laughs> um, I yeah. think like, look, we're overloaded. There are so many amazing questions as well. You, you're all a very educated audience. Um, we'll have a, we'll have those questions saved and we'll be able to go through. I think what we need, what we are wanting to do is have like, well, in our to-do list is a like a medical legal conference. Um, and I just think it would be amazing if we could bring together some of these doctors um, and the epidemiologists, scientists, but just lawyers as well, um, who could come and talk and but we would try and get the other side now we've seen overseas that the other side usually ends up with an empty chair but i just had the idea maybe you could get maybe the bloomfield susie wiles um hipkins maybe we play them on video and then we debate them you know if they won't <laughs> But we could try and um, get them to come. We could try. Yeah, the, the, this is what so people could feel. What we're really wanting to reach out to is those doctors who haven't been brave enough, and maybe they would come to something where it is set up like a debate. Like we're not wanting it to be one-sided, but where are the people when usually you try and actually have a debate or put something else out? And we can definitely tell you from the experience of having organised this two million flyer drop around the country. People um, who are not used to seeing an alternative point of view uh, just don't know what to do with one flyer and they seem not to realise that we're bombarded 24-7 with all the media with the other point of view and we're just trying to be able to have 
an alternative show that alternative point of view that is held by all these professionals so I just wanted to give a shout out as well to Linda Wharton because she's been amazing and she's a really important thing that everyone needs to be aware of is with this CARM reporting C-A-R-M and she's helping um, share the story so she's at the Health Forum NZ um, on Facebook and of course Sue's um, the court case that I know mm. you'll all be aware of so that is on Wednesday is um, the hearing of the urgent part of that and that has been a huge undertaking I know a lot of you guys know that we've been involved in that but it's like Sue has just been amazing in this and what she's done and achieved and um, you know for her clients so as many of us as possible are going to be there to support her that's nine o'clock in front of the Wellington High Court on Wednesday but it doesn't start till 10 but Sue will be going in with um, everybody about 9.30. So if you can get there and if you are someone that wants to stand with us holding a Voices for Freedom sign, that's awesome. Um, otherwise, just to come along. And you can wear uh, your voice and Voices your for Freedom t-shirts. Yeah. Wear your yeah. t-shirts. So We've got signs. Um, so there'll be people from different groups and it'll be a great occasion, I think, to show, you know, a united front to support this because, you know, we all know which side we're on when it comes to the really important stuff. And so that's what we want to be um, sharing and, and doing there so I think that's all there were so many there's so many questions but we'll have to you know I don't want to say circle back that's what <laughs> but, um, we will so, keep, we'll stay in touch with you Sam and we're going to get you back on our show but Sam, um, did, did you have any final um thoughts or want to what you'd like to share with everyone no just I think so strong I think it's it's we're heading in the right direction it's just time mm. Mm. Mm one person at a time yeah in a yeah. way yeah but thank you so much for joining us thank you for everything you do um <laughs> we're so lucky to have you we're so lucky to have you down here in New Zealand we, we feel pretty special so um about you guys <laughs> thank you you guys yeah. do an awesome job and thank you everyone for joining us tonight we'll see you again next Monday um and yeah we just give a huge round of applause to Sam yeah. yay thank you for joining us <laughs> Thanks, Thanks Sam. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. See, See you later. Bye. Bye.